You may be seated. Stories animate our lives. Some of us have stories of our ancestors, and these stories have a way of grounding us. Some of us have stories of hardship and challenge and inspirational stories of overcoming steep odds. Some of us have staggering legacies we're trying to live up to. Some of us have scripts in life we're trying to rewrite so, so that we don't pass them on to our, our children and our grandchildren. Good stories, hard stories, tragic stories, inspirational stories. They animate our lives. Let me give you an example from my personal story. I've shared with our congregation before that my father died just a few months after his 28th birthday. I was 18 months old. My mother was 26. My sister was four. Naturally, as I grew up, I asked my mom and my stepdad how my father died. And I was told he was born with a, a congenital heart defect and that eventually he died of meningitis. But I really didn't press for more details. So a few weeks ago, I was in North Carolina, and my stepfather wanted me to go through some of my mom's papers and said, you know, you can just keep anything that you want to keep. And as I was looking through some of those, I found my father's death certificate. I quickly read through it, and I came to that box where it said cause of death, and indeed it said meningitis. But then there was another box that said uh, secondary or underlying cause of death, and it listed a heart uh, condition called tetralogy of fallot, which is a combination of four heart defects. Today, surgery repairs the condition, and a child can live a fairly normal life. But when my father was born, no surgery was available. 35% of children with tetralogy of fallot died before the age of one. 50% died before the age of three. 75% died before 10. My father had a one and four chance of living past the age of 10. When I absorbed this information, I was blown away. And I was just taken to a place of, of, of humility and a place of gratitude for the hand of God in my life. Without the grace of God on my father and on my family, I would have never been born. Knowing more about God's activity in my story drew me to a closer place with Jesus. Well, today we begin a series, and this series, the story, is going to take us all year. So if you like short series, just say, you know what, we're going to have 12 short series, uh, but it's going to take us all year. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at how God has been weaving and God has been working a beautiful and true story of salvation through Jesus. And then the text that Pastor Brian read earlier, we see two disciples, Cleopas and an unnamed disciple walking along the road with Jesus after his resurrection. Their encounter begins with them being dejected and hopeless, and it ends with their hearts on fire. And this is my hope for all of us this series. As we encounter God's story, that we will allow his spirit to set our hearts on fire. And here's the big idea that's going to drive us all throughout the year and that's simply this, God invites you to live inside his story of salvation. God invites you to live inside 
his salvation story. Now, we will revisit the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus throughout this series. We'll go back and and touch points with it here and there. But today, we're going to let let it serve simply as an introduction uh, to the entire series. And here's what I want us to see. I want us to, first of all, just take a look at God's story. Then I want us to take a look at God's story and you, God's story in our lives, and then God's story and the world. So let's take a look at God's story for a moment. At first glance, the Bible looks like 66 books written by multiple authors over a span of centuries. And you can take individual books of the Bible and study them. And this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You can study Genesis and Matthew and Isaiah and Romans and Revelation. But if you're not careful, you can miss the overarching story of the Bible. Or Some people like to take the Bible and pull out all the incredible moral stories, sort of like Aesop's fables. We see stories like David and Goliath, and we just pull for the little guy over the giant. Or the Good Samaritan, and we know that we're supposed to help everyone. Or Joseph and his multicolored coat and his jealous brothers, and we learn that that you can overcome incredible odds, and on and on and on. As wonderful as these stories are, And as inspirational as the lessons are, alone, by themselves, they won't set your heart on fire. What will? It is when we see Jesus and his rescue and redemption for our lives as the central story, the thesis, the driving arch through all of Scripture as the story of God. That will set your heart on fire. Notice what Jesus said to Cleopas and the other disciple. He said this, or or, uh, Luke reported Jesus saying, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, say those last two words with me, concerning himself. In all the scriptures, concerning himself. He was saying, okay, let me tell you what this is saying about me. This year-long series will be divided into five parts. Part one, the beginning. We'll look at the story, how the story begins, creation, God launching a nation through a special relationship with Abraham. And then part two, the rise and fall of this nation. And we'll look at Israel and her faithfulness and her not-so-faithful times. Part three, we're going to look at the prophets and how the prophets tried to call the people back to the heart of God. And we'll start seeing how they started weaving this idea of a Messiah to come, that God's anointed one would come and deliver his people. In part four, we'll look at redemption. We'll look at the life and the ministry and the resurrection, the death of Jesus. And then part five, we'll look at the church, the body of Christ in the world, and the renewal of all things. It's going to be a great series. I hope you're ready each week to come and and learn. And if you're traveling, like I know a lot of you travel, just engage us online either, either Sunday or during the week, and you'll be able to stay right with it. Now, uh, a from time to time, people will ask me, tell me about this church's statement of faith. And so let me encourage you at some point, go on our website under what we believe you can find our statement of faith. But there's a tiny little statement that I want to make sure you have throughout this series. And if you go on our website, print it out if you want to, underline it, uh, paste it, memorize it, do whatever you need to do. But when it talks about Scripture, one of the things that we believe is the Bible, the criterion by which the Bible is to be interpreted is Jesus Christ. People have a lot of different ideas about the Bible. Churches throughout generations have battled over the Bible. Denominations have formed 
over different interpretations of the Bible. But when you come to understand the Bible, this is the most important statement you could ever, ever hold. And that is the criterion by which the Bible is to be interpreted is Jesus Christ. This means when we read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we read with Jesus in mind and Jesus in view. If we read a passage that troubles us or raises questions, we go to what we know about Jesus and we ask the question, how do I understand this passage with what the Bible says about Jesus? He's the criterion. He is our true north when it comes to understanding the Bible. So we'll dig in to the story of God all throughout uh, this year. But let's talk about God's story and you for a moment. Go back to the road to Emmaus. Cleopas and his companion are walking along and they're discussing all the things that have been happening over the previous days in Jerusalem. Let's review what had been happening. It was the time of the Passover. Jerusalem was a city that was absolutely jam-packed. Think the World Cup in downtown D.C. It was that crowded. It was just jam-packed. Jesus, this itinerant rabbi who healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, fed the hungry, their rabbi, their teacher, had been arrested, beaten, tortured, and executed. His mother and a few others were with him when he gasped his last breath on the cross, and, but the other disciples had scattered because they were afraid. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then they say some of the women disciples, there were always women disciples at the very beginning, went to his tomb and said his body was missing and had seen angels. This is what they had been discussing. Then Jesus suddenly appears to him. It's only Jesus can just suddenly appear. And he says, hey, what are you talking about? They didn't recognize him. And then they went on to tell this perceived stranger about the events of the last three days. But in so doing, they also revealed what was going on in their heart. Look at verses 20 through 21 again. They said, they told Jesus, that they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They crucified him. But we had hoped. They were disappointed. They were dejected. They were downcast. Jesus's, in their view, his incredible life had ended in death. Death, the great enemy, once again, in their view, had won the, the battle. Hope, in their view, had given way to hopelessness. Even their body language tells the story. They were walking when they were recounting the events, but then Luke tells us they stood still. They had to stop. Have you ever been so upset with something in life that you felt it in your body? Maybe you were like Cleopas and the other and you just couldn't walk and talk at the same time. Maybe you trembled. Maybe you cried. You see, they had not yet believed in the resurrected Jesus. They had not yet believed that Jesus was the first to be raised into a new creation. Oh, sure, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. and Yes, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, but they died again. The resurrection of Jesus was a completely different 
dynamic than those other two. He was raised into the new creation. He would never die again. My friends, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, that was the beginning of the renewal of all things. That was the beginning of the new creation that God promises us. We don't have to wait for the end of the world for God to start working his plan of renewal. He started when Jesus walked out of the grave. Why does this matter to you today and your story? The resurrection of Jesus completely shapes your worldview. You may not see it that way. You may not say it that way all the time. But the resurrection of Jesus completely shapes your ideology, your philosophy. It completely shapes how you view the world. If you do not believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, then to you this life is all there is. We live so many years and then we die. There's no ultimate hope. Sure, people who don't believe in the resurrection can achieve some temporary hope in human achievements, but they can't conquer death. Human achievements can't defeat war and violence. If you don't believe in the resurrection, there is an ultimate fatalism to that world view. But if you do, as Cleopas and his companion did by the end of the story, your life is immersed and saturated with God's story. You see the world through the eyes of life, not death. You see the world through the eyes of hope, not despair. You see death as a glorious beginning, not an ending. It changes your world view. Let's dig a little deeper as it relates to your story and Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning as we begin this series. Is Jesus the center of your life? Is Jesus the center of your life? Have you asked Jesus to be your life leader? And have you asked him for his salvation? You know, it's interesting. The Bible has two road conversion stories. There's the dramatic Damascus road conversion of St. Paul. You may be familiar with his story. St. Paul, before he became a Christian, was persecuting Christians. And then on the road to Damascus, he saw a blinding light and he heard the voice of Jesus calling him, you know, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? One writer said that it's just this glorious and wonderful testimony. And most of the time when the church will share examples of testimony, they'll share an example of a, of a Damascus Road experience. The challenge with that, with that is about one in a hundred of us have this kind of experience. Most of us don't have that kind of dramatic conversion experience, the Damascus Road. I'm so glad God saves people that way. But then there's the Emmaus Road. There's the Emmaus Road. Their eyes were open when they were immersed in the very familiar patterns and ways of Jesus. Yes, it happened that day, but it was a lot more gradual. They encountered Jesus in the Scriptures. They encountered Him when He broke the bread. And that is how the rest of us come to faith. We're immersed in the story, and our hearts give way to the work of God through the Holy Spirit. Most of us 
come to faith that gradual way. It's no less real and it's no less compelling. And that gradual way could mean a day for you, a week, a month, a year. All of a sudden, your eyes are open. And you see Jesus for the first time as the firstborn of the new creation. Have you given your life to Jesus? In a room with this many people and the number of people that watch online today and throughout the week, my guess is not all of you have. And my sacred prayer is that as we engage the story this year, that you'll meet him. Your heart will be set on fire and that your eyes will be open. And I hope you'll pray to that end. Let me ask you another question. Is Jesus the center of your life? Now, you may be saying Dr. Phil turned 60 last year and he's having a senior moment. He just asks us that same question. That happens when you get older. Same question, different audience. This is for those of us who are already Christians. Let me ask you, is Jesus the center of your life? It is possible to be a Christian and over time nudge Jesus out of the center of your life. It is possible as a Christian to begin looking to other things to give your life meaning and fulfillment. Some people turn to various hobbies. Some people turn to the approval of others. Some people turn to their work, their family, their children to give them that place of ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate feel-good. And what happens as Christians, when other people or things start to take first place, we begin to nudge Jesus out of the story. At first, he was the central character. Now he just has a sort of a bit part. We pull him back in from time to time. The relationship with Jesus, like any relationship, has to be nurtured. Many of you have grown up seeing this picture hanging on church walls. My grandmother had it in her kitchen. Now, there are a few things that are not quite right with this classic Warner Salmon picture of Jesus. First of all, Jesus wasn't white with a good tan, okay? So that's the first thing that's not quite right with that picture. Second, he probably didn't have hair like the Bee Gees from the 70s. And I seriously doubt his robe was ever that clean. I mean, that looks like an ad for Clorox. Extra strength. However, there is so much right with that picture. It is meant to convey the Bible verse Revelation 3.12, which 3.20, excuse me, which we will go over at the end of the series. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man or woman hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. It captures that verse so well. Our Lord wants to be in your story. He wants to hang out with you all the time. Notice he didn't say, I want to come in and take a two-week vacation with you. Or I want to come in and take a two-week retreat with you and then we'll go our separate ways. No, he said, I want to do something that you do every day, multiple times a day. I want to come in and have lunch, breakfast, and dinner with you. Every day. Notice also there's no obvious handle or latch on the outside of the door. We must open the door 
for Jesus to come into our lives. We have to open it from the inside. Now, I've always seen this picture as depicting someone becoming a Christian for the first time, and I think that was Solomon's intent. But you know, it hit me this week. That picture can also represent the life of the Christian who has become distracted and pulled away from the side of Jesus. No, we cannot ever lose our salvation, but we can certainly act as if Jesus is not in the house. Is Jesus in the house for you? Is he at your table? Another way to ask this, is he the center of your life? My holy hope and prayer for all of us is that as we engage this series in 2023, that he'll be at the very center of all of our lives next year, and we will be even closer to him. Lastly, two minutes here. God's story and the world. Because we're going to come back to this over and over and over. Notice what happened at the end of the story. It reads this. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, this looks like sort of just narrative detail to get to the next story. But I absolutely love how God's Spirit led Luke to include this because this tells us that they simply could not keep the story to themselves. They just couldn't. When we hear a compelling story, we have to share it with others. And what we're going to see throughout this series is that as lovers of God and as followers of Jesus, we are challenged, called, and commissioned. We're given the high and holy privilege of sharing this story. And that's part of what it means for us to step into his story. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This story is not just for us. It is meant for all people, from Portugal to Peru, from Beijing to Belize, from Moscow to Mississippi, from the halls of Congress to the halls of the unemployment line in Danville, Virginia. This story is for all of us. And part of what it means to step into the story is to do what Cleopas and his companion did and go share it with others here, near, and far. After all, that's how you heard it. Somebody told you. And you're supposed to be someone's somebody. Hear the invitation of God today, next week, and all throughout the year to live inside of his story. And as we engage this journey together, as we learn more about God's activity in our life and God's activity in our story, may our hearts burn with a deeper love and gratitude for him. Amen? Let's pray together. Good and gracious God, we thank you and we love you 
We thank You for including us in Your grand story. We thank You for sending Jesus, Your Son, to die for our sins so that we might be one with You. God, we thank You that by raising Him from the dead that You launched a new life, new hope, and a new creation. God, I pray for each one of us here today that we would seriously consider Your story at work in our world and in our lives. And Lord, that You would have Your way in each of our hearts. Because we know, God, that as we connect with You, our hearts will burn with love and passion for You, for others, and the world You love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.